believe that song is a reference to Mary, the first person to see the resurrected Christ. And uh, that must have been special. And it was Mary Magdalene, of all people, who had seven devils at one point. And the Lord cast those out. And uh, she was the first one to get to see the resurrected Savior. Pretty amazing. Well, uh, tonight, if you would turn your Bible to uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and uh, we're going through our series on uh, Bible doctrines, continuing doctrine, uh, looking at the major doctrines in the Bible, and we are starting with the doctrine of bibliology. Uh, We are looking at what the Bible says about itself. And uh, getting a good grasp of, or at least in attempting to get a grasp of uh, what the Word of God says about itself so that we know that we have a good foundation. Uh, we, we can trust the Bible. And we need to understand some of these uh, terms that get uh, mentioned. And so tonight's uh, message is called uh, The Bible Understanding the Terms. And uh, we're going to look at several terms regarding the Scriptures that get talked about in doctrine uh, as, as you go through bibliology. And uh, hopefully these will make a little more sense to you than maybe they have in the past. You've heard them and go, well, what does that exactly mean? And uh, we're going to take just a, a minute to go th- through them. But uh, 2 Timothy 3 in verse number 16 is uh, really a, a verse that all of us really should almost have memorized, very, be at least be very, very familiar with it. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And uh, so the first word, the first term we're going to really dive into uh, tonight is the word inspiration. Inspiration. And this means that God breathed his word. God breathed his word. And this word is important for us to understand because if we feel like if in our minds we go, well, no, man wrote this, then uh, we're going to kind of throw it out the window. Uh, But when we understand that God was the one who breathed all of these words into existence, then we understand that this is not the word of men, but this is the word of God. And so it has that authority that we have to submit to, or at least uh, we have the decision to make whether we're going to submit to it or not, but we can't just kind of push it out and and say, eh, man wrote that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, with our kids, you know, someone will say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, yeah, says who? Says you? And then when they say, no, dad says that, then they're like, okay, I guess I better do it, (laughs) Right? And so as we uh, look at the scriptures, we kind of look at them and go, oh, yeah, well, says who? Oh, God says, that's who. And when we understand that the word of God was indeed breathed by God, um, then uh, it it gives us that authority. Uh, A couple thoughts about this that I wanted to uh, go through very quickly here, and that is uh, we have the extent, the extent In verse number 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
So uh, to, what, to what extent? Just some of the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. The ones that we like, those are the ones that we would say are inspired of God, right? No, here in verse number 16, it says that that, that pesky word, three-letter word, starts with A and rhymes with mall. <laughs> all, all scripture. So the extent of scripture is um, the, whole, the whole bit of it. And really, we could even include the, the front cover as well, uh, Holy Bible. So from the Genesis 1, 1, all the way to the end of Revelation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. The Bible is the word of God, and so we start with the Bible and believe it corrects science and history and other fields of study. A lot of times we say, well, uh, the Bible says this, but here's what science says. Well, can I just tell you this? Science is wrong if it does not agree with the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. And over and over again, and even in recent years, we've seen science finally catch up to the Bible. Um, where people in the, in the flat earthers are going to eventually, uh, that, that whole concept is going to eventually uh, catch up with, they're going to go, okay, well, uh, maybe the earth really is round. Okay, and it is round, in case you're wondering. Okay. But the extent of, of Scripture, which, which parts are, are inspired? Yes. All of it are. Okay. And the ones, uh, the, the commands and the, the parts of Scripture that you and I read and we get all warm and fuzzy about, and we go, yes, amen. And the ones that we look at and go, oh, me, means I have to change. Those are inspired too. So the extent of uh, inspiration is all scripture. Then we see the effect of the inspiration. In verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we see that the effect here is that it's profitable for us. Because he has uh, inspired all of it, all of it then is profitable, um, and it's helpful. And uh, as we get into it, and as we become students of the Word of God, and we we, we study it, and we know it, it, it begins to really benefit and profit our lives. Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty one. There's another passage that, uh, if you want to just turn over there very quickly, Second uh, Peter uh, chapter uh, one and verse twenty one. This is a little bit of uh, the nuts and bolts on, on how God inspired his word. Okay, Second Timothy just tells us that it is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But Second Peter 1.21 really kind of tells us how it happened. Okay, and it, this verse says this. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So how do, we, how do we get all these scriptures? How do we get the book of Lamentations and 1 Peter and, and, and Jude and, and all these books of the Bible? How, how did we get all these scriptures? Well, uh, God used 40 different authors over a, a period of over 1,500 years 
Um, and he used their backgrounds and their personalities and their individual styles, but he, he gave them the words to write. And he used their particular um, styles, and, and, and they're different. You know, Peter's writings are much different than Paul's writings, than, 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 than Moses' writings. They're all different. But, but God, the Holy Spirit, uh, used them all to form one scriptures, one Bible. Okay? Um, so regarding this particular thought here in 2 Peter 1, 21, uh, there's a couple thoughts here. We, we see the marvel of inspiration. And uh, here in verse number, um, uh, let, me, let me go back here. In verse number 18, Peter's, remember he was an um, eyewitness there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, a pretty remarkable privilege, and we uh, just preached about that a few weeks ago in our study and in uh, our series in Mark on Sunday mornings. But here's what he said in verse number 19. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. That's a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. Then verse number 19, he says, we, also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. So he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, now, <clears throat> uh, here's, uh, he says, look, we were there in the mountain. We got to hear with our ears. We got to see with our eyes, all of that, all of that, but but we have something even more reliable than an eyewitness account, and that is we have the Word of God. Um, and uh, most of it, you know, my wife uh, asks me questions. She'll say, okay, so um, tell, me, tell me about that conversation you had with somebody else. And I'll be like, it went well. <laughs> and she's like, okay, no, no, no. Like, Tell me like what you guys talked about and what did they say and how did they how did they react when you said that? And I'm like, it went well. Because I can't remember the details. <laughs> I'm a man, okay? And maybe some of you men are better at that stuff than I am, but um, I can just remember having the conversation and then it went well. <laughs> okay, now when it comes to uh, Peter here, he's saying, look, you better not just take my word for it. Um, we have we have the word of God, and uh, that is far more reliable than any, you know, eyewitness here. Now, eyewitnesses, of course, um, God used to uh, write the many portions of the New Testament and even the Old Testament as well. Uh, but um, here, Peter's saying, look, more important than my eyewitness account is the fact that we have the word of God. Okay, there's a couple uh, thoughts under this that I wanted to uh, share with you. So we believe in, in these two phrases. We believe in verbal inspiration, and we believe in plenary inspiration. Let me explain what they are very quickly. By verbal inspiration, we mean that God gave the very words to these men. For example, Deuteronomy 31, verse 24 states, And it came to pass when Moses had made an ending end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. So we believe that God did not merely give thoughts 
or inspiring feelings, but that he gave the very words to these men to write. And that's important. It wasn't just concepts. He gave them the very words to write. So verbal inspiration. And then we also believe in the plenary inspiration of the scriptures. And we mean, by this we mean that the scriptures are fully complete or inspired equally. We believe that the Bible is fully the word of God. His thoughts fully expressed. Therefore, many times we refer to the Bible with terms such as God-breathed, inerrant, and infallible. And we've used those terms here at Cornerstone many times. So we see the marvel here. But uh, let's look secondly here at the method of inspiration. Again, in 2 Peter 1.21, uh, it says here that the men of God, uh, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This word moved by the Holy Ghost carries the idea of being borne along or carried by the power of another. The same verb uh, moved here is used in Acts 27.15 where the wind determined the direction and destination of that boat. The sailors were completely controlled by the power of the wind and moved wherever the wind sent them. And the word picture here is that the Holy Spirit uh, is... The only way for these men to have penned down God's word was for the Spirit of God to carry or move them there. There's no, men these, there's no way these men could reach this destination of writing down these inspired words from their own efforts or own ideas. The, whole, the Holy Spirit guided and directed and, and, and moved them. And so we need to understand the inspiration of uh, the word of God and and. When we're not set on this, it opens us up for falling into error and temptation. Remember uh, Eve? When uh, she was in the Garden of Eden and that slimy serpent came to her and said, Yea, hath God said? Are you really sure it was God who breathed that? Are you really sure it's inspired? All of it? Seriously, Eve? Come on. You really believe that it was God that said you should not eat of the, every tree of the garden or if you do, you're going to die? That's silly. That's, that's ridiculous. Are you really sure that God was the author of that? Come on. And, and that whole argument ha did not end in the garden. That whole argument is continuing on in this day where uh, the, the devil will make us think, oh, this, isn't, this part of the scriptures isn't that important. God must not have really meant that, um, and, and he, he's trying to cast doubt on the authority of the scriptures, and tonight I want to build up that authority and encourage us with the fact that the word of God is inspired, so we see the inspiration of the scriptures, but then uh, number two, let's look at the preservation of the Bible, preservation of the scriptures. God kept his word. So he inspired it, but then he kept it. Okay. Um, Here's several verses that uh, I'm just going to read. Uh, I'll read off the reference. That's probably all you'll have time to, to really uh, do here. But Psalm 105, verse 8 says this. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. 
the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. So the doctrine of preservation is based on the Bible itself. Since the Bible is to be our authority in matters of faith and practice, it is important to see that God, uh, what he has to say about its preservation for each generation. Um, so Psalm 105 is a great verse. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in... Anybody know the last, the last word? Heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Like it is not changing ever. It's settled forever. Okay, Psalm 119, verse 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Uh, they're an heritage forever. Psalm 119, verse 152, concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Psalm 119, verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Um, the word of God is not temporary. It's not, it wasn't relevant just for the time in which it was written. It's relevant. Um, that's my f wife's favorite word right? Uh, but it's, it's relevant for every single generation that ever will be. Um, because it is uh, going to endure forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And the heaven and the earth are going to pass away. They're going to melt with fervent heat. And even when that happens, the word of God is going to abide. And that's the next verse, 1 Peter 1, 23 and 20 through 25. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the preservation of the scriptures if God did not inspire his word, but did preserve it, then it is a useless preserved book written by sinful men. If God inspired his word, but did not, did not preserve it, then it has been lost due to time. Both inspiration and preservation are important doctrines for us to understand, and they're equally important. God breathed it, and God is going to keep his word. Both are necessary, and both are true. Okay, what's another term that we want to understand? Uh, number three here, illumination. Illumination. God helps us and clarifies his word. God helps us to understand his word. Um, the reference on this is 1 Corinthians chapter number two. Let's go ahead and uh, jump over there and take a quick field trip over here to 1 Corinthians chapter number two. How many like field trips? This would never happen nowadays, but I remember when I was, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, I was a part of a church in California, and one, one Sunday school class, my teacher said, all right, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go in, on a field trip this morning, and they took us down Avenue K, which you've been down to Avenue K, Miss Mary's been down to Avenue K, I don't know anybody else, but... Um, 
that was not the, uh, it wasn't like a little side street. It was a, it was a major thoroughfare. And they took us down Avenue K to a donut shop during uh, Sunday school. That was our Sunday school class. They took us to go get donuts. That was one of my favorite Sunday school classes ever. Uh, but um, not the safest thing as a pastor. I, I don't know if they asked the pastor about it before. Because I was just imagine him hearing about it going, are you, are you kidding me? You took a bunch of like fifth graders um, who don't always uh, follow directions super well. Anyway, we're taking a field trip, but this is a good one, uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 9. It says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So a couple things at play here when it comes to illumination. And uh, number one, we need to be saved. Um, salvation is necessary for us to really have a better grasp of the Word of God. But obviously, um, those who are unsaved can read the Word of God, and God begins to turn the lights on for them as well. Uh, many people who have been saved just by reading the Scriptures on their own. Um, and and here's what, here's what happens here is the, 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 the Holy Spirit begins to give them understanding, illumination. Illumination is when God turns the light on for us on a certain passage of Scripture. I mean, uh, for those who've been saved and you take time to read God's Word, which is, I hope, everyone in the room, um, where we take time every day to open the Scriptures, and, and, and we may read a passage that we've read a hundred times. And sudden, it's like, wow, for some reason, I'm just now seeing this. I'm just now understanding what this passage really means. Because uh, sometimes maybe we're just skimming through it it's, and we're really tired as we're reading. Or uh, maybe we just didn't quite have the understanding and, and uh, the Lord turns a light on somewhere else and then that then sheds light on this passage that we've read a lot of times. This happens to me on a very regular basis as I'm studying the scriptures. Uh, and preparing for sermons, I'm like, hey, that one thought that I had that, that the Lord gave me a few weeks ago is now helping me, helping this passage to make a little more sense. This is illumination. Uh, this, is, this process is a work that is done by the Holy Spirit of God and who is an interpreter of Scripture. This is a present tense type of work uh, accomplished by the Spirit. Whereas inspiration was completed in the past and preservation began in the past and carries through today, illumination is for us today in the presence. As, 
present. And it's when we're reading the scriptures or we're here, we're studying the scriptures or we're listening to a sermon regarding the scripture and from the scriptures and, and the Holy Spirit's then able to make it make sense. And uh, I try to help make it make sense. Usually um, you, you can't really depend upon me to do that, but you can depend upon the Holy Spirit to really help you make it make sense. So the illumination. Then number four, here's another word that's important for us to understand, and this is a this is a more of a hot topic uh, word, and that is the translation. That is translation. God uses man to render His word. Um, here's a couple thoughts on that. Some would view the translation process as purely an act of man. In some cases, this is true, but if you believe that God preserves his word, then you cannot separate him completely from the rendering of his word into other languages around the world. The promise of preservation requires that God uses man to render accurate translations in other languages. This is often a strong dividing line among those with differing positions on this issue. Did God preserve only the original languages? And then leave his work in the hands of men to render into the other languages? Or has his supernatural hand been involved in the preservation work throughout the translation process? That's a, uh, an important question there. And of course, um, you know, here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, uh, we are a King James only church. Uh, we uh, preach and teach from the King James version only. Um, that being said, uh, for those who maybe don't have a King James Version of the Bible in your hand tonight, uh, we love you. <laughs> um, but we're also not going to change our stand on where we stand regarding the King James issue. Um, there's, there's a few reasons for that. Um, and here's, uh, this is actually taken from our church website on this particular issue. Um, there's a few things that are unique about our church. Um, I think our music is unique. I think Brother Randy, you mentioned that uh, in the video, I believe, um, that what makes our church very unique is our music. Um, we're not going to go and start going down the, you know, adopting all the CCM music, contemporary Christian music, and bringing that into our church and bringing in all kinds of uh, crazy instruments. I'm not against instruments, but um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep it uh, worshipful, and uh, we're gonna keep it um, with what we're what we're doing in that regard. And and that's for a different that's a different topic. Okay, uh, but another thing that's unique about our church uh, is our stand on the scriptures. Um, most churches don't have a here's where, here's what version we we stand on. Uh, we do. And, uh, but we don't do it in an obnoxious way. You know, you don't hear me blasting everybody every Sunday morning if you have a different uh, version of the Bible. Um, but we, we, we still are going to stand firm on where we're at. Um, here's, this is taken from our, our website. It says, like many terms used among churches, it largely depends on what you mean by the label King James only. We believe that the King James Version is the most accurate translation available in the English language because of a couple reasons. Because of the method of translation used, 
we, we, the King James Version was um, translated using a word-for-word -word method of translation versus a, um, basically a concept-to-concept -concept, uh, method. And the concept-to-concept -concept method can be very dangerous because it's kind of uh, up to the interpretation of the translator. Whereas word for word, you have to stay faithful to the word. Not, and obviously we know that not every Greek word has an English equivalent, but, or, or Hebrew to English, um, but we, they did it as close as they possibly could. And that was the method though that they used. But then also, not only the method of translation, but also be, uh, because of the text that they used to translate from. Um, we, we, as King James Bible believers, um, we understand that the King James translators used the Hebrew uh, Masoretic texts and the Greek received texts. Um, now, here at our church, we are sympathetic to the difficulties that arise to, due to the antiquated language. We do not believe that 17th century English is somehow more spiritual than modern forms of expression. For instance, my family and I doesn't, we don't speak King James in our home, okay? Will thou go to bed? <laughs> go thou to bed, daughter. <laughs> Although, that does kind of have a ring to it, a poetic ring to it. Um, no, we, you know, we say it's time to go to nighty, nighty, night, night, you know? I used to say that when, I, when, when they were little kids. I sometimes still do that just to make them go, and it's just embarrassed because I'm the king of awkward, you know. <laughs> and so anyway, it's not more spiritual. Um, so what we are concerned with is textual accuracy. For instance, when speaking to one another today, we do not use the words ye and thee. Yet in a Bible passage, ye refers to two or more people, while the refers to a single person. And so it's, it's a little more precise than just saying you or y'all. Y'all means a lot of things, I realized here in Oklahoma. <laughs> you could say y'all, and it has 87 different definitions, depending on the context. You know, you, you stub your toe, you can say he y'all, <laughs> or I don't, I don't know. There's different ways you could say y'all. You know what I'm saying. Um, but, but the ye, thee, and thou, those are precise words that uh, really help us to know exactly who the person is talking to uh, and how many people they're talking to. Um, and then it says there are other, many other places where this distinction is quite important. On the other hand, we reject the wicked, arrogant attitudes that are often displayed by groups claiming to defend the King James Bible and and there is kind of two, uh, two ditches on either side there that we, we as a church try to avoid. Uh, we do believe the King James Bible, and, and that's what we uh, stand upon. Um, but we're also not in endeavoring to have an arrogance about it. Um, and some would say, well, you know, I have the new King James because it does take out some of those harder words. Um, I, I have a... And we don't have time to go through all of these tonight. There's no way. Um, 
But uh, I, have a, I have a list, and I don't have it on the screen here, but I have a list in my notes of uh, verses that have the New King James and the King James version of the word. And in many times, the King James is an easier word to understand. For instance, uh, the King James word is before. Okay? The New King James is previously. They're both easy to understand, but before, a younger kid will understand that, whereas previously is not as easy of a word. Uh, band of men was King James. New King James, detachment of troops. Um, let's see here. Um, we have John 21, 7. In the King James, it says coat. Uh, in the New King James, it says garment. So the King James is a little more precise on what it is. Um, Acts 1.18. In the King James, it says bowels. Okay, your bowels. In the New King James, it says entrails. I don't even know if I've ever heard that word in my life until right now. Um, Acts 5.14. The word more is King James. New King James is the word increasingly. And uh, on it goes, I mean, I've got probably 45 different uh, instances where the New King James is more difficult. Now, there's going to be the other side, too, where the King James is going to be a little more difficult than the New King James. I get that. But this whole concept that the New King James or the King James, New King James is just making it a little easier to understand. In some ways, it's making it harder to understand. Here is an interesting, uh, some interesting statistics. The New King James omits the word Lord 66 times. It omits the word God 51 times. It omits the word heaven 50 times. It omits the word repent 44 times. It omits the word blood 23 times. It omits the word hell 22 times. It omits the word Jehovah entirely. Um, New King James admits the uh, word devils entirely. And uh, so there's just some different things that uh, what I'm saying is if you're if if you're not, you know, one who's like I'm I am a King James guy or, or gal. Um, there, there's some good reason to be uh, a King James uh, person. X eight thirty seven. Let's turn over there very quickly. Acts 8.37. For those who are NIV proponents, um, this is uh, an interesting thought here. Acts 8.36 says, And as they went their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, Hey, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And uh, verse 37 says this, Philip said, well, if thou believest with online heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That's a pretty important verse. Well, in the NIV, it's gone. Not there. Well, then verse 38 says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So without verse 37, 
You don't need to be saved. You just need a bunch of water and a desire to be baptized, according to that passage in the NIV. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, now, some say, well, I don't use the NIV. I mean, that's a terrible translation. Um, that's, that's ridiculous to use that one. I use the ESV. Okay. Well, um, let's go to uh, John 7, John chapter 7 very quickly. John chapter 7. Verse number 8. In the King James, it says this, Go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. Okay? And then it says here in the ESV, it says, uh, let me read it to find it here. Okay. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So in the King James, he says, I go not up yet unto this feast. But in the ESV, it says, I am not going up to this feast. So there's two different meanings here. One says that I'm not yet going. And the other one says, I am not going. They're, those are two different. They're not the same. It's not even close. I'm, I'm not yet going, and I'm not going. Well, two, two verses later, Jesus does indeed go up to the feast. In verse number 10, it says, When his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast. So, was he lying? Did he lie? We know that God cannot lie. Okay? And uh, that's one example, and I know I'm kind of cherry-picking here and, and all of that. Uh, I don't mean to do that. I just want to give you some quick examples based on time because uh, I'm already out of it. But um, the thing is, is if the devil can cast doubt on the accuracy here in this passage, then maybe we're going to begin to doubt the accuracy of other verses, like John 3.16, like John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and again, I'm not trying to be a jerk. That's not what I'm trying to do here tonight. Um, again, I love everybody in the room, okay? And everybody watching online, hello, I love you all, okay? Um, I do. And so regardless of what Bible you have in your hand, I'm your friend. But I also want to explain the importance of why we stand where we stand on the issue and... Um, this is who our church. This is who our church is. Um, again, there's several verses that are missing from several translations. First John five seven is one that is missing from some, and one that is in quite a bit of different. Um, uh, that that verse does talk about the Trinity and the importance of that doctrine, and in many translations that gets completely watered down, and 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 it's not the same in the King James as it is in many other translations. The NIV, this is, an, this is an, an amazing statistic. The, the NIV has 64,000 words less than the King James Version of the Bible. That is, so basically, if I go from the middle of Acts 
Acts 15, through the end of the book of Revelation, this is how many words are taken out of the NIV compared to the King James. Wow. We don't need this part. That's just, who, who needs that? We need to make it easier to understand. So we need to remove all of those words. Remember God's final warning prior to the ending of the Bible? Just four verses before the end of the Bible that says, you better not tamper with the word of God. Uh, you're in dangerous territory once you start doing that, and, and uh, some of these translators have done that. Again, I want to show charity in this situation, and, and you know I don't want it to offend anybody, but I also want to state where we are at and why we are where we're at. And, and I'm, I don't really have a, a lot of time to go through all of it. In fact, we did, and I covered some of this material when uh, we went through a series back in 2019. I believe it is on our church website. Uh, in October, we went through why we hold the King James Version of the Bible, and uh, we went through a three-week series on why we do, and some of this material I'm taking from that, um, but go back and listen to that, and you can kind of hear a little more of why we do, okay? Here's a brief summary of our views on that, on, on this whole King James issue, uh, translation issue. We do believe that God has perfectly inspired his word in the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, and that he has preserved his word in the uh, Masoretic um, Hebrew and Greek received text, and that we have a beautiful and accurate English translation in the King James Version. That's what we believe. Um, we also believe that modern textual criticism is largely filled with heresy and unbelief. We also believe that there's no need to rediscover the preserved text of Scripture in modern times that God has preserved his word through the common usage of the true churches throughout history. And we also believe that while the antiquated English in the King James does contain some difficulties, okay, we will admit that. There are some words and some phrases that are more difficult for us to uh, understand that were easier to understand back in the days in 1611, right? We understand that. But it is still worth the effort to learn some new words and phrases in order to use the most accurate translation available. Okay? We don't have to have everything dumbed down so that we can understand every little aspect of it. Maybe we could grow and study and learn. And that is what we are called to do. So that's what we do believe. We do not believe, though, that a person has to be saved from the King James Bible. We don't believe that. It is Christ that saves, not a Bible translation, right? Uh, we do not believe that the King James Version was given by inspiration. We believe the scriptures were given by inspiration. The word of God was given by inspiration. But the King James Version, we believe that God oversaw and, uh, and, and helped use that to preserve his word. But again, it's, it, we don't believe that God inspired the King James Version. Okay, um, so if that kind of makes sense, I know we said that all scripture was given by inspiration earlier, and now we're saying the King James Version was not given by inspiration. 
you're like, what? Um, we believe the original texts and the, and the, the preserved uh, Hebrew and Greek texts, those were inspired, and then now these have been translated. Okay, we do not believe that there is no use in studying the Greek and Hebrew original languages or that KJV is advanced revelation over the original manuscripts. Um, we don't go back and, 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 and say, well, those things were not inspired. Now this is better than those. No, uh, we, don't, we don't believe that. Uh, we do not believe that the preserved word of God is only available in English in the King James Version of the Bible. Okay, so what do you do for those who speak Spanish? Well, you don't have the word of God. No, we don't, we don't believe that. Okay, we do not believe that the Bible translations in foreign languages should be based on English instead of, when possible, Greek and Hebrew. So it's better to go from those original manuscripts, the, the Greek-received text, the, the Textus Receptus, and uh, the Hebrew, those, those manuscripts, and translate from them into those other languages rather than going from even the King James into those other languages. Sometimes that's not possible because of the, um, the education of those translating, but whenever possible, that's what they try to do. Okay, <clears throat> and then uh, we do not believe that all men who disagree with us are useless to God, that we are better than them, or that it is acceptable to use carnal insults and curses against them. We absolutely reject both the attitude and extremes of so-called Ruckmanism. We want to have charity in this situation. We want to have the right stand, but we also want to strive to have the right spirit about it as well. And so uh, I know this may uh, provoke some conversations, uh, maybe on the way home and maybe uh, with me. And uh, I welcome them, and I don't pretend to know everything there is to know about this. I've tried to study it um, and explain it, but uh, I know that there's a lot to know about this particular scenario and, and situation, um, but uh, I'm just telling you where we as a church stand and where I stand as a pastor as well. Um, I'll just give you this last word, and I want to end by reading a poem, and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to some prayer requests here, and that's the last word is canonization. Canonization, God's people recognizing his word and uh, forming these 66 books of the Bible and uh, there's a lot more I could say on it, and I may next week, um, but I do want to end by uh, reading a, uh, a poem here. And this is written by uh, um, Blake and Kalen's pastor uh, they had growing up, Brother uh, R.B. Roulette, and uh, he is actually going to be with us. Um, he'll be preaching for us uh, later this summer, and uh, looking forward to having him here at our church. And uh, that'll be a great time. Well, he wrote this, and he, he wrote a book called A More Sure Word that goes through the King James issue, and uh, it's available, I believe, on Amazon. Um, you can find it a lot of different places, um, but it's a, it's a helpful book that I've used as uh, a good resource uh, for this particular um, subject. He said this, uh, this is the, uh, the poem he wrote. He says, I heard the old-time preacher speak without one reference to the Greek. This precious book within my hand is God's own word on which I stand. Then the scholars came along and the 
and said the preacher had it all wrong. Conflations here, recensions there, and scribal errors everywhere. A book essentially correct, but not in every last respect. A fairly certain word, they say, to light our path and guide our way. Then in despair, I bowed my head. We have no word of God, I said. If some of this old book is wrong, pray tell what else does not belong. Will still more manuscripts be found to make us go another round? Correcting, changing, taking out, creating questions, fear and doubt? Must more discoveries come to light before we finally get it right? Will precious doctrines fade away because of what the scholars say? How many errors what must we purge because of what the scholars urge? How many versions what must we make? How many changes can we take? How will we ever know we're through that we possess a scripture true? If, a man must, if man must find God's word, my friend, when will the changes ever end? Then to the book again I fled to find out what my father said. Forever settled, never fade. This promise God the Spirit made. A thousand generations hence. That seems a pretty strong defense. A perfect book. Then it must be man can improve what God gave me. We do have a book completely true, instructing us in all we do. Preserved by God, not found by men. Inscribed by God, the Spirit's pen. If God or scholars you must choose, be sure the experts always lose. Don't give to them a second look. Just keep believing this old book. That was well written and well said, Brother Willette. Let's pray together and uh, we'll do a couple prayer requests. Lord, thank you for the time uh, tonight to study what your word has to say about itself and to understand some terms that are often used as we uh, talk about the Bible. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, most of all, Lord, we would understand that you inspired and preserved your word. And Lord, help us to um, be students of your word and to know and, and love your word and live it out in our lives, to share it with others, to learn it. Uh, Lord, to uh, be people of the book. And Lord, to not let uh, some of the discussion of the day to deter us from um, understanding that this is the word of God. And uh, Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.